right, good morning, City Light. How are we doing? Good morning. It's so good to see you guys. My name is Nate. I'm one of the pastors here. Uh, excited for this morning. Glad you're with us. We're going to be finishing our series in Habakkuk. So open your Bible, your scripture journal, your iPhone, or whatever. Habakkuk chapter 3. I just want to say welcome to those of you who may be new. Maybe you're visiting for your first time. Maybe a friend drug you here, whatever it might be. We're so glad that you're here. I know God has a word for you, even if you don't expect it. And so we're glad that you're here. Please come up, say hi to me after. We have a welcome table. We'd love to follow up with you and just help you wherever you're at in life and to connect with you and let you know that you're not alone in whatever it is that you might be going through or dealing with. So please connect with us. Uh, happy Thanksgiving week. I hope you all have um, some fun plans this week. We just want to remind you, because I have said this wrong a few times, that uh, this Thursday, our normal prayer and worship gathering called Restore, which happens at 6.30 every Thursday night, is not happening this week because it's on Thanksgiving Day. Uh, and so make sure to put it in your calendar for the next week. Come join us uh, every, sixth Thursday, every, si every Thursday at 6.30. We meet to pray and to worship and to seek the Lord. Uh, Last Thursday was just something different. I don't know who was here for that, uh, but it was an amazing experience where the spirit just really moved. We usually go about an hour, and it was like two and a half hours, and nobody wanted to leave, and everybody was just like, God's doing something. And so I want to ask you, I want to tell you or compel you that you want to miss out on moments like that where the Lord really shows up and works in our hearts and our lives. So we meet here every 630 to seek God's face on Thursday night. We're just not doing it this Thursday with Thanksgiving. Uh, also, this coming Sunday, just an FYI for families, is a family service, which means we won't have a City Like Kids program technically, but we will have clipboards, service will be family friendly, uh, we'll keep it short for you, all right, and it'll be great. So next week, next Sunday, family friendly service, just an FYI, bring your kids, we'll take really good care of them in the service. Today, another exciting announcement is that we have food after service. Yeah, okay, it's free food after service, all right? Uh, and so it's going to be awesome just to celebrate Thanksgiving together and do what we can at least. Uh, we're going to celebrate and eat. So it's going to be outside. It'll be very COVID careful and all of that. We'll do our very best. Wear your mask, be outside, do your thing. Uh, but we want to eat together and celebrate Thanksgiving. You know, when we were in the high school, those of you who are with us, we used to eat after every service. And it was an amazing time together. What we've always wanted to say and to believe is that we're not here just for service, like boom, bang, see you later. You know, this is not a transaction of a, of a good, of a service. Uh, this is a time for God's people to gather, to be equipped, to be encouraged, to meet with the Lord, to meet with one another. And so that time was really fruitful. So obviously COVID changes a lot of that, but we're working and doing our best to provide as many environments for us to build community uh, and really be here together. You know, I want to publicly say that I would love for you guys to be a part of that and to do everything you can to make Sunday a time of community and fellowship, seeking the Lord, and not a transaction of a service. Uh, and so we're excited to be able to do that today after the service. Um, so we're in Habakkuk chapter 3. I don't know if you can see it from here, but I have a fat lip. I got beat up in a uh, football game with my kids yesterday. So uh, just an FYI on that. I was trying to tackle Jalen, and he's my 8-year-old, and I caught him from behind. He swung back with his head, you know, and pow, he hit me in the mouth. Um, and so I get beat up by my children. It's cool, no problem. Uh, family football was fun. Uh, we had a good time. But uh, today we're going to be in Habakkuk 3. And what I love about the, the closing thing of this, the closing time in this chapter, the last three verses, is that after all of this conversation with God, after bringing him all his grievances, after hearing things he didn't like to hear, after having to digest all this information, after dealing with struggle and dealing with uncertainty, right? He's had this whole thing with God, which has been so helpful for us. 
he gets to the end of it, and even though his situation hasn't changed, he still brings God praise. And what a better way to set up our Thanksgiving week than to really give you something thankful for and to know that in whatever situation, God has designed it so that you can give him praise. I also hope, as one of your pastors, that you have seen through the book of Habakkuk. So this is six weeks. If you missed any of the last five, I really encourage you to go grab that podcast or YouTube because it all works together. It makes sense as a whole. It makes sense as a package because what he's doing is talking with God. And if you hear a part of the conversation but not the other, you might miss part of what's happening. And so make sure to go do that. I really hope, just to pastorally with you guys, that you've realized not only is the word of God relevant to your life, And not only does it help you navigate personal and national situations, but every part of the word of God is relevant to your life, right? And so sometimes so many of us miss so many wonderful things from God because we skip over maybe some books like this and the minor prophets in the the Old Testament and we think, I don't really know. And I just want to encourage you, part of the reason we chose this book was to affirm to you that every single part of the word of God has something to say to you. Every part of it. And if you want to really grow and really know the Lord, you got to read every part of it. And so take some time, learn from the Bible. It's just as good in every part. It's God's word, it's living and active, and it speaks to you. And so I hope this has been instructive for us to say amen. Because I remember when I asked you to raise your hand in the beginning, I was like, how many of you actually read the book of Habakkuk? You know, some of y'all, ain't, you know, you're trying to call yourself out. You're kind of like halfway there. You're like, I've heard of it. Does that count? You know, and you haven't read it. And so now as we've been through it, I just want to affirm that in you. Seek the Lord in the Old Testament. Read the whole scriptures. Everything in it is breathed out by God. It has something helpful and instructive for you to reveal God to you, but also to help you navigate your life and your circumstances. So believe that. Take it to the bank. Be a person of the whole scriptures, not just parts of it that you find easier to understand. So here we are in Habakkuk chapter 3. What God has done at the end of this, this is so helpful, is he did not change his situation. He just changed his perspective. Habakkuk, at the end of this whole conversation with God, doesn't have a single change in his situation, nor are there any plans for any changes in his situation. But throughout this, God has changed his perspective so that his situation didn't change, but his perspective did so he could be in that same situation and give God praise. And so many of us are waiting to get out of the situation for things to change or whatever it might be. And God might well be working right now just to change your perspective instead of your situation. What if God was doing that in your life now and all you've been seeking is a situation change and he's been trying to implement a perspective change so that you can learn to praise God in the valley and on the mountaintop. So this is a lot what we learned from Habakkuk. So let's look at these last three verses. Habakkuk chapter 3, 17 through 19. He says, Though the fig tree should not blossom, nor fruit beyond the vines, the produce of the olive will fail, the fields yield no food, the flock will be cut off from the fold, there will be no herd in the stalls, yet I will rejoice in the Lord. I will take joy in the God of my salvation. God the Lord is my strength. Amen. He makes my feet tread like the deer's. He makes me tread on my high places. This is an amazing, one of the most amazing passages in the Bible to help us understand what does it really mean to rejoice and to praise the Lord. So today's sermon, it's on the screen, it's called The Choice to Rejoice. The Choice to Rejoice, all right? Turn to your neighbor and say, make the choice to rejoice, all right? Come on, do it for me. Make the choice 
to rejoice. Make the choice to rejoice. Remember, I haven't said this in a few weeks. It's time to participate, not spectate, all right? We're going to do this together. Make the choice to rejoice. What we see here in this passage is a determination, a resolve, a decision, regardless of circumstances, to say, I will praise the Lord. A determination to do it. Not in spite of my situation, but in sight of my Savior. Not in spite of my situation, but in sight of my Savior. This is what we're going to learn is where do you look when your situation is difficult to get some change in your heart so that you want to praise the Lord. Let's be determined to be a people who rejoice in the Lord. Make the choice to rejoice. What we're going to see often throughout this is your attitude and your disposition towards the Lord is a choice. It's not dependent on your circumstances or how things are going in your life. It's a choice in the hills and the valleys. And so I want to show you two main things about the choice to rejoice this morning from this passage. The first is this, write this down. You can rejoice in your reality. Look at verse 17, it's so helpful because verse 18 doesn't sound that great except for verse 17 really magnifying it to see like when the light shines in the darkest place. Verse 17 is a setup for verse 18. Look at verse 17. If you look at each of it, what you'll see is that there are six potential problems that are coming his way. And what you'll see from this passage is things get worse before they get better. The problems he lays out goes from bad to worse. Let me show you. The first problem is the fig tree should not blossom, which is basically like, yo, we won't have any more wine. Which, you know, for some of y'all might be a real problem, but it's not essential to your life, you know? It's not essential. You can get by without wine, all right? You can get by. You can make it. You can live, all right? And he's saying, first of all, the first problem is they're going to take away, we're going to lose the things that we enjoy. Like, oh, that stinks, but then it gets worse. No fruit on the vines. The produce of your olive will fail. And look at this. The fields will yield no food. Now you've gone from bad to severely worse. You've lost things you enjoy, and now you're losing things you are, that are essential to your life. How many of you are in that situation now where things seem to be going from bad to worse? An unfortunate series of events might be playing out in your life, and you're wondering, what is God doing when things go from bad to worse? Not only are they going from bad to worse, but if you take all six of these things that happen, the end of it being no herd in the stalls, the flock will be cut off, which means that all future hope of their economic well-being as a nation has completely died. And what he's saying here, these six things together, taking away our enjoyments and our essentials, is a complete and utter devastation of their society. That's what he's looking at. He's not looking at a bad day. He's not looking at an unfortunate circumstance. He's not looking at a singular problem. He's looking at and partially experiencing in the present a complete and utter breakdown and devastation of his society. That's the situation. That's the problem. Might sound a little bit like 2020. It's somewhat relevant. We aren't at that point yet, so it ain't as bad as that. But if we're going to think about, man, a bad time, a bad year, if we're going to think about how do I navigate what seems to be the breakdown of society through a variety of issues, 2020 is not a bad comparison for all of us. And then for some of you, it might get even more personal because your life, your personal circumstances are going from bad to worse. And your question is, what is God up to and how should I respond 
here's what I want you to see. I want you to see how bad the situation is in verse 17 so you can understand how profound the attitude of verse 18 is. Habakkuk sees all of this coming. He sees it coming, God has told him. He sees it being played out in part now in front of him, things are already bad, and he sees them getting worse because God has told them they would get worse. Habakkuk looks at all this. Imagine if you like God showed up and said, 2020 is just the beginning. What if he showed up and said that? I was like, this is just bad. Things will get a lot worse. And what if you knew that? How would you face that situation? How would your attitude and disposition to God be? Well, look what, look what Habakkuk does. <clears throat> Verse 17, things are terrible. Verse 18, yet I will rejoice in the Lord. Habakkuk sees this coming, and he basically says, even if it won't, I will. You see what he's saying here? And we, as God's people, need an even if it won't, I will kind of faith. Even if it won't, I will. Even if it won't change, I will rejoice in the faithfulness of God. Right? Even if it doesn't get better, I will taste and see that the Lord is good. Even if this keeps getting worse, I will rejoice that he's working all things together for good. Even if it doesn't happen when I want it to, I will take joy and rejoice that God's timing is perfect. Even if the opportunity does not open up for me, I will rejoice that the Lord is my portion. Even if nothing goes my way, I will rejoice that Jesus is the way, the truth, and the life. Even if this pandemic continues forever, I will rejoice that the Lord is in control. Even if it won't, I will. And somebody give the Lord some praise for that this morning. Say, even if it won't, I will. Even if it won't, I will. Turn to your neighbor and say, even if it won't, I will. Say it like you mean it. Say it like you're a preacher. Even if it won't, I will. Some of y'all, that's all you needed this morning. Look at this at. Even if it won't, I will. It's a decision. It's a choice. It's a pre-commitment to look ahead and say, even if it won't, I will. How much of our praise is dependent on our outcomes? How much do we love to give God glory when the waters part? Which we should. What Habakkuk is teaching us to do is give God glory when the waters stay there. Right? God's trying to build a type of faith that can look at the waters and watch them do nothing and say, even if it won't and the army takes me over, I will. Right? Even if I die with this, I will. Even if my situation doesn't change, I will. Even if it just gets worse, I will. I will. This is what Habakkuk is teaching us. Now how, you may say, man, that's, that sounds great. Preacher talk. How, how, how do you do that? How do I feel that? What does that even mean? One of the things we have to learn about life is that I cannot control my reality, but I can control my response. I cannot control my reality for the most part, obviously you know what I mean. You, do, you affect your life in many ways, but 95% of it, you know, happens around you, to you, for you. We don't control a lot of our reality, but we do control our response. But you know what we do is we spend a whole lot of time trying to fix our reality than working on our response. What God wants to do oftentimes in your life is help you work on your response. Get to the deepest part of your heart. He's less concerned about your reality. He's more concerned about your soul. 
Where are you at with him? How much do you love him? How much do you believe him? What are you trusting in? That's what he's trying to get at. And for us to say, I, just to say it, I can't control my reality, but I can't control my response. Instead of spending all my time trying to fix my reality, I'm going to start working on my response. I'm going to start working on my attitude, my disposition, helping, asking God to help me see things the way that he sees them, asking God to help me have his perspective. I cannot control my reality, but I can control my response. And for many of you, God is calling you to begin to work on your response and let God take care of your reality. I cannot control my reality, but I can control my response. This passage here is a, basically a practical outworking of what we already saw a few messages ago from chapter 2, verse 4. Probably the most important verse in this whole book. It says, the righteous will live by faith. The righteous will live by faith. We said, what does this mean? To live by faith means I live by what God says, not by what I see. I live by what God says, not by what I see. I live by what God says, not by what I see. Therefore, if God has said, I am working all things together for the good of those who love me or are called according to my purpose. Therefore, said, if God has said, though you go through the fire, I will be with you. I will be your strength. I will uphold you with my righteous right hand. If God has said that he has purposes for me, and if God has said that he will be with me in life or in death, that all I have is Christ. If God has said that he will bring me into heaven with him to experience eternity with him, no sin, no suffering, no problems. If God has said that, then I live my life by what God has said, not by what I see. Because when what I see looks sad, then I need to look to what God has said to praise. How am I going to praise if what I see looks sad? You can't. So stop looking to what you see. Start living by what God has said. God is working in this moment in your life. As we've seen throughout all of Habakkuk, God is answering your questions. God is dealing with your doubt. God loves you, and he's working in the midst of the space in between. You feel like you're just waiting. God is working. When God brings judgment and punishment, it's all perfect. God wants to extend grace through Jesus. He's doing all of this. And so the choice to rejoice comes in your reality, not out of it. This is not sentimentality. This is not power of positive thinking. This is not a false hope. It's none of that. It's to look at my reality, and even if it doesn't change, say, I will rejoice in the Lord. This is what the choice to rejoice means. It doesn't dismiss your circumstances or play them down. It says they are there, and they are terrible, but my God is bigger, greater, stronger. And therefore, because of that, I live by what God says, not by what I see, so I can rejoice. Right? Now, this is when, if you're here and you're a Christ follower, it's your chance to actually access something the world doesn't have to give a witness to a different attitude towards life. Right? We could be just like everyone else, and if your life is going bad, you're doing bad. Or you can access something called faith, which God has given you as a gift by his Holy Spirit who dwells in you, which includes the fact that instead of going to hell, you're going to heaven by his life, death, and resurrection. You can grab that a hold, say, I'm going to live by this, and I'm going to give a unique witness to the world around me that there's something different about knowing God. We can't just act like everybody else when things like this happen. We have to be different because we have something different. God is working even in this moment. You can rejoice in your reality. I got a, um, this wasn't even in my sermon, but this morning I got a DM on Instagram from this guy <clears throat> that I used to uh, mentor when I was living in North Carolina, Raleigh, North Carolina. I had just finished seminary, and uh, I was in this season of waiting, and God wasn't opening the doors I had liked him to open. I was trying to figure out next steps in life. It seemed like things were just closing, not opening. 
Uh, it was just a season in life where God was really working on me and like killing all the sin and the idols of my life and making sure that I loved him and him alone and not anything he could give me. And so it was in this season that I had a lot of doubts, a lot of questions, like what's going on? Why is my life going this way? What are you doing, God? And in that time, my job was to be an after-school, I ran an after-school program for kids in an under-resourced community in Raleigh. And so I did that with the YMCA, uh, and I enjoyed it. But the whole time, it was like, this is not what I feel called to, Lord. Like, what are you doing? Uh, Why won't you open a door? And so I I spent most of my time with these elementary and middle school kids, and I want to read you... um, what this guy sent me this morning, which I'm just assuming based off how I know God works, that this is for you, because I don't know why he would have texted it to me this morning outside of the fact that God wanted me to share this with you. Um, And so this guy, he was uh, 11 years old when I knew him, just a crazy little kid. I mean, you just never would think, you know? And uh, I felt like that was sort of not a waste of time, but, you know, I didn't have the best attitude about it. Uh, And he was 11 and doing what 11-year-olds do. You know, you don't feel like anything's happening. Uh, and now he's 19. He just texted me. He DM'd me this morning. He said, hello, Nate. I don't know if you remember me at all, but I know I remember you fairly well. I was a young boy at the age of 11 years old when we knew each other. I didn't know what I wanted. I didn't know what my future looked like, but you helped me understand more things than you probably imagine. I've been wanting to send this message for two to three years, but could never get myself to. Now I'm 19 years old. Then he says, the most important thing that you ever did to change my life was that you made me open my eyes to opportunities that I never thought I could accomplish. And that, for me, is college. I'm currently enrolled, and I'm two weeks away from finishing my first semester. I'm a student athlete playing football with double majors. I just wanted to write, to come here and say thank you for everything you did to help me and all the other kids down here. Sincerely. you know, that like wrecked me this morning. I was like, Lord, thank you, Lord. But I think the Lord sent that to me now so I could tell you that even in this season where you feel like nothing's happening, maybe God's doing the most significant thing. What if? What if? What if all the doors you thought were closing was a way for God to open up the work he wanted you to do? What if he's not only working in your life and through your perspective, but what if he's working through you? What if he's doing things in people's life in your current reality that could not happen if you got out of your situation? What if? And we've seen this whole time, right? There was a whole sermon a few weeks ago, the space in between. And how God is, when we feel like we're waiting, God is working. And I just wanted to share that with you to not only confirm that message throughout this whole series, but to remind you today that you can rejoice in your reality because not only is God working on you, but he's also working through you. And more than likely in the places you find the most insignificant, God is doing the most significant work. That's how he works. That's how he does things. And when you think it's small, God's doing something big. And when you think you're just waiting, God is working. That's why you can rejoice in your reality. Get God's perspective on your life. God's not just waiting, and this moment in time is not insignificant. The goal is not to get out. The goal is to do what God wants you to do in it. And so maybe the Lord wanted me to share that with one of you this morning to confirm your situations and for you to have God's perspective on what God might be doing in this season of your life. The second aspect, so you can rejoice in your reality. The second thing is you rejoice because of your relationship with God. 
So you can rejoice in your reality and you can rejoice because of your relationship. Look at verse 18. He says, yet I will rejoice in the Lord. I will take joy in the God of my salvation. In, not to, not for, in. I will rejoice in the Lord. In his person, in his presence, in him, I will rejoice in him. Write this down. I can rejoice during my circumstances because I rejoice in the Lord. See what's happening? I can rejoice during my circumstances because I rejoice in the Lord. My rejoicing is not dependent on a change in my circumstances because my rejoicing was never on my circumstances. It was in the Lord. So I can rejoice during the situation, during the problem, during the circumstance, while I'm waiting. I can rejoice because my rejoicing is in something that never changes, the God who is with me. My rejoicing is in him. In is such an important word. My rejoicing is because of my relationship with him. Rejoicing is rooted in relationship. In him. I rejoice in him. Look at the two things Habakkuk says God is to him. He is my salvation and he is my strength. So what's the threat? All your food, all your economy, all your money, everything you would rely on to provide life to you is gone. And Habakkuk says, well, my life comes from Jesus. And so I can rejoice in him. And that's not sentimentality, and that's not the power of positive thinking, because Habakkuk's life never got resolved with this. He didn't live long enough to see God come through. He died in the midst of the problem. He didn't get to see the, the event. He didn't get to see the deliverance. He died while waiting. So he's not like, he's not some story of like, oh, this will get better sometime soon. No, no, no. He lived it. He died while it was happening, and his hope was heaven. And so for someone to look at that and to say, I can rejoice, even though what you just told me means I will spend the rest of my life in exile. Even though what you just told me means my, I will never see the solution. This is Habakkuk knows. He knows what God is doing and how long it's going to take. So he knows, he's looking at it, and God said, I'm going to do this, and Habakkuk knows, he's doing the math, this means I die in that place. This means I die in this situation. This does not work out for me. And he looks at that, and he says, yet I will rejoice. Why? Because my rejoicing is in the Lord. Look, I love this, this fact of the scriptures. The way the scriptures play out, you have to recognize and think about. He says, God is my strength, not God gives me strength. You see, so often when we're asking something from God, we think strength is like something God has out here. You can pick it up and give it to us like a gift. And that's not how it works. When God wants to give you strength, he gives you himself. Right? When God wants to give you peace, he gives you himself. He is that. It's not something he gives. It's not something that he grants. It's something he is. And so when he gives strength and gives peace, it's because he gave you himself. God is my strength. He is my strength. I love how personal this is. Look at the word my, my salvation, my strength, right? If you have faith in Jesus this morning, if you've trusted in his life and death and resurrection, you can say the same thing, man. The Lord is my helper, me, by name, in my situation. He is my strength in my circumstance. He is my savior in my position in life. He is my helper, my leader, my guide, my lover, my master, my friend. 
So when your relationship is deep like that and connected to who God is, then your rejoicing is an overflow because your circumstances don't dictate that. God is those things always. And so many times what God wants to do is give us a deeper experience of the giver and not his gifts. He wants to give you himself. And so many of us trade it and say we want the gifts. And God wants to give you the giver and a deeper experience of him. And so often it is in losses and seasons of life that are difficult that allow us to act, access more of God's presence. It's just the way it works. And you need to write this down and live your life by it. The choice to rejoice means that the goal in my trials is not just to get through it, but to get out of it all God can be for me in it. I'm going to say it again because it's long but very important. The choice to rejoice means that the goal in my trials, the goal, is not just to get through it, but to get out of it everything God can be for me in it. The goal is not the other side. The goal is not the solution to the problem. The goal, the real goal, is a deeper experience of the Savior. A deeper experience. And let, let me ask some of you, so many of you, what if God, what if God is doing what he's doing to take you deeper into an experience of him right now? What if God, he's right there and he's amazing and he's saying, come to me, but all you can look at is the solution to your problem. All you can look at is the other side. All you can think about is maybe 2021 will be better. All you can look at is the other side. You want to get through it, and God's waiting right in it. And he's saying the whole goal of you being in it was so that you would meet me in it. So that you would experience more of me in it. What if, what if, what if God wanted to reveal something to you about his character and about his ways and about his love and about his person. What if God wanted to reveal something to you in that place that you could not get any other way? And what if, what if the revelation and experience of God that he gives you, the deeper you go into this relationship with him, what if it was so good that you wouldn't trade it for a resolved situation? You thought about that? Well, you gotta have heaven's perspective. What if God's trying to give you something better than a resolved situation? What if? What if God's trying to tap into these deep places of your heart, you know? What if God's trying to get there and to grant peace and comfort and to minister his presence to you? What if God is trying to tap into the deep places of your heart where there's insecurity and to develop a trust in the sovereignty of God? What if God wants to minister to you in the place You spend your whole time looking somewhere else. <laughs> and he's saying, I'm right here. I'm right there. And maybe today, many of you, he's just calling you into that space. A deeper relationship with him. To stop fixing your eyes on the other side. To stop managing your situation just to get through it. And to start meeting with God in it. And getting out everything he wants to be for you. Everything, everything he wants to be for you. There's so much more that God can give you of himself. 
And what if God wants to tap into that place? Just think about it with me. What if he wants to give you something better than a different situation? What if? The choice to rejoice means that the goal in my trials is not just to get through it, but to get out of it everything God can be for me in it. Everything God can be for me in it. Now, the important thing about this is that you have to have a relationship with God for any of this to be good news. The Bible teaches us that the main problem we have in life is called sin. It's our disobedience against God and our, our evil acts done toward self and toward neighbor. It's the wickedness of our heart. And because of our sin, our relationship with God is severed. It's broken. And the very thing that gives us life and purpose and eternity and everything is separated from us. We don't have access to that. And we can't get it ourselves. So God sends his son, Jesus Christ, into the world to live a perfect life, to die the death for our sins, to be raised from the dead. And he says, if anybody would believe and trust in me, that person can have everlasting life. You know what Jesus says in John 15 to his disciples, no longer do I call you servants, but I call you friends. God wants to relate to you that way as friend. He wants to relate to you as father. He wants to relate to you as savior. And some of you are struggling right now because the strongest relationship you have is maybe one with a spouse, with a best friend, with a coworker, with whatever, and that relationship simply can't supply what is needed. And God wants to give you a relationship with himself. Believe him, trust him, follow him, repent from your sin, choose Jesus this morning. And you can rejoice with us in your relationship with God. As we close, I want you to see this, this final truth. Habakkuk, as we see, is making the choice to rejoice. This is a determined, resolved, fixed commitment, not based off his feelings and not based off the power of positive thinking, but based off what God has said, not what he sees. It's a fixed commitment to rejoice in the Lord, regardless of whether I stay in this valley longer than I like. It's a fixed, predetermined commitment that the things I see coming I know are bad, but I will rejoice in the Lord. Now, how does he really really do that. It's a strong commitment that he's making to God. Well, he bases his strong commitment on the strength of his God. Look in verse 19. It says, God, the Lord, is my strength. Now, in Hebrew, the two words here are Yahweh Adonai. Sometimes we lose, and if we don't know in the English, the heart and the passion of the word that's being said. It's not like God in general. He's using these two words on purpose, God, Lord, Yahweh, Adonai. And what he's doing is he's, he's basically saying God in the strongest way he can say it. Just think about like you're falling down on, a, on the side of a cliff. You're grabbing the strongest branch you can grab. And he's like, this is bad. I feel like I'm falling. What's the strongest thing I have to hold on to is Yahweh, Adonai. He says, Yahweh Adonai. You know what that means? It, re it relates to God's person and God's position. So not only is he God, he rules over all things, the maker of all things, the ruler over all things. He sits on his throne in heaven and he rules over all things. He is my maker. He is God, but he's also mine. Right? He relates to me. He's my God. He's my creator, my savior, my master. What is man that you are mindful of me? 
And so he's taking two things. God's position as ruler over the universe. Nobody can stop God's plans. And God's person as my Savior who loves me. He's taking those two things and he's blowing them together. Yahweh Adonai. And it's the strongest way he can say it. It's the strongest branch for him to grab. It's his life. He's going to hold on. Yahweh Adonai, position in person, position in person. That was the clearest revelation he had of God. It was the strongest way, but things are a little bit different now. God has revealed himself even more clearly, and now the name that is above all names is the name Jesus Christ. The name that is above all names. The name Jesus Christ. God has clarified his position as for whom and by whom all things were created. Jesus Christ. God has clarified his person as a God of love and mercy. In the person and work of Jesus Christ. His death and resurrection. So now for us in 2020, the strongest possible way to say I will rejoice the strongest branch that you have to hold on to as you leave from here is the branch of Jesus Christ. The strongest thing that you can say is I will rejoice in Jesus Christ. It's the strongest thing you got. Jesus Christ, the revelation of God revealed to us in man the one who died and rose again. Jesus Christ, the one who lives forever at the right hand of the Father. Jesus Christ, the one who sends his spirit to dwell within us by faith. Jesus Christ, the one who died on your sins on your behalf, even though you didn't deserve it. Jesus Christ, the one who rose from the dead three days later. It's the strongest name. And so just like Habakkuk, this is why Paul, all throughout the New Testament, says something like this, I will boast in the cross. What is he saying? I will rejoice in Jesus Christ. I will find my life and my future in Jesus Christ. I will rejoice in Jesus Christ. The strongest language you can use in your current situation is I will rejoice in Jesus Christ. His death his resurrection, his love and his mercy, his grace and his peace, his purposes, his timing, his ways, his plans, and his presence. I will rejoice in Jesus Christ and all that he is for me. So what if in this moment in 2020 in your life, God wanted to reveal more of his son Jesus Christ to you? What if God wanted to give you a new view of his love and his mercy towards you? What if God wanted to give you heaven's perspective on how God feels about you? What if God wanted you to really know that you can trust him? What if God is not offering you a different situation, but a great savior? God is calling you to a deeper place with him. God is calling us to a deeper place with him. And God is always offering you himself. And so take it. Rejoice in your reality. You don't need a change of situation to praise. And rejoice in your relationship. You can praise at any time because God is your father and your savior and your friend. And make the choice to rejoice. Let's pray. Lord, we love you. We honor you. Thank you for revealing your son, Jesus, to us. 
I thank you that in life and in death, all we have is Christ and it is enough. Psalm 73, 25 says, though my flesh and my heart may fail, but you are the strength of my heart and my portion forever. So Lord, that's my prayer that you would take us deeper into a fuller experience of you, Lord. Give us your eyes, your perspective, your presence. And I pray for anybody in this room that's far from you, that's wandering from you, that's walking away from you, that thinks they're finding life somewhere else in another person or in another situation or in a thing the world can give God, that you would remind them this morning that you offer them yourself. So Lord, I pray that many in the room would come running back to you this morning. The Father with his arms open wide, ready to receive them. So do what only you can do, Lord. We love you. We praise you. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Why don't you respond?